Hey listeners, this is Sophie, and I'm the host of Hello, Hello, a podcast by and for Boston University students to discuss Jewish life here at BU. Today's guest and first guest of this podcast is Connor Diedrich, an active participant in Boston University Hillel and current senior. And today we're going to be talking about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. I just delve into the high holidays a little, and there is definitely no one more qualified to do that uh, than Connor. So, hi Connor, you are our first guest. Uh, welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Sophie. I'm so happy to be here. And here and I are here to talk about uh, the new year. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, right? <laughs> what a year, honestly. Who saw this year coming? Ridiculous. Yeah. So for our first segment of Bubby's Kitchen, um, why don't you tell me what your favorite Jewish food is? And tell me, like, just tell me a little bit about it and like what your experience has been with it. I would say it is noodle kugel the sweet kind, um, mainly because it's one of the things that my grandmother used to make um, for the high holidays. She would come up from Miami and she would make them. She would always add, I think it was pineapple and golden raisins, which always made it delicious. Um, it's also just one of those things that I made with her. Um, and so it always gave me you know, these really good associations between Rosh Hashanah and um, Passover and, you know, this amazing uh, woman in this amazing dish. Pineapple. Like, that's, that's what was in it. I feel like that's pretty unusual. That's what was in it, yeah. Well, I think, at least for my grandma, she was first-generation American. And so I think there was some pressure, um, more so than at a, at a different time in an immigration kind of chain, to, to assimilate and to use, you know, I think it was at that time, like, you know, those fruity casseroles were kind of the big thing. Um, yeah. And so, so she added, you know, pineapple to make it a little bit more like what her uh, non-Jewish neighbors were eating. Well, thank you, Connor, for that excellent first ever segment of Bubby's Kitchen. Everybody keep an eye out because we're going to do it next week, too. Um, <laughs> Well, so, okay, so, Connor, you and I have done JLF together, and I think that's the first time that you and I actually talked to each other, even though, like, I had seen you around since September of my freshman year, because you had done, like, a little sermon at the High Holidays that year, which I'll talk about later, Um, (laughs) but why don't you tell the listeners what you do at Hillel and what your role has been throughout your time at BU? Yeah, I mean, so, I'm a senior now, so this is a good vantage point looking back on you know three years of of Hillel involvement um currently I'm really only just helping to run the conservative minion um I'm also participating in the social social justice fellowship and a couple of the at least I signed up for some of the JLF classes and throughout my Hillel career I mean the first thing I got involved with was the conservative minion and that was just through you know showing up to services uh, then I became treasurer of the Hillel Student Board, and after that, I became president of the board, which was so much fun, and that was when we were going through this transition. Well, you've you've never known a non-BLT a Hillel, um, but this is when we were going through the transition from this very old, board-centered style Hillel to this new BLT model, and uh, it was kind of also devoted to helping the different communities understand each other more. It's not unusual for people to come from these kind of monocultural, 
monocultural communities where everyone is reform or everyone is conservative or everyone is orthodox. And so when all of a sudden you jumble everyone together, um, there's some misunderstandings and stereotypes um, that cause tension. And so we were there to kind of address those things and see how we could work to create you know, a really pluralist kind of Jewish space. That term gets thrown around a lot, um, but we really wanted to embody it. That's, I mean, honestly, that's so cool. I didn't, I didn't know a lot of that. I mean, I, I mean, I knew about JLF and like, hopefully we'll be in JLF again uh, so. this semester. And for those who don't know, uh, the BLT is, uh, is what, Connor? Why don't you explain to our listeners? So the BLT, I can only assume that they came up with the acronym first and then wanted to, they just wanted BLT, I think, you know, catch people off guard. <laughs> um, but BLT is the BU Jewish Leadership Initiative. It is a program where every student, including you, the one listening to this right now, um, <laughs> is able to both take part in and start their own initiatives, whatever that, um, whatever that could be to the person. I started a Mahjong club. Um, <laughs> nice. I, I am a Jewish grandmother. Um, <laughs> Little known fact, actually. <laughs> um... But yeah, it is. it encompasses everything that happens in Hillel, and so it ensures that any student can be as involved as they want to be. They're not blocked out of involvement by not being a part of this board or that board or not being, you know, a sophomore or a junior or whatever. Um, it really uh, democratizes Hillel involvement, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, I also think it's fantastic. I mean, this is like... I don't really know how this happened, but last year, despite having no official position, I ended up in <laughs> the BLT Facebook group, despite <laughs> only just showing up, pretty much. That's all it takes sometimes. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I'm probably less religious than your average Hillel participant in terms of, like, you know, going to services and whatnot, but... um this is like probably my first actually it definitely is my first ever impression of you and i definitely told you this like a long time ago probably but i yes. remember it was like erev yom kippur 2018 and picture me first semester freshman no idea what i'm doing i remember i had like fought with a girl really 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 badly that may before i graduated high school a friend of mine and we kind of really like, hurt each other in that last um interaction and we had not spoken since and we still had a lot of mutual friends and I remember just thinking, like, we're just going to be like this forever. Like, whatever. I'm never going to speak to her again. But then I remember you gave, like, a little, like, sermon, sort of. You were, I think it was just a sermon, basically, like a little student yeah. sermon. Literally, on the spot, decided I was going to apologize to her. And then I actually apologized to someone on Yom Kippur. Now we're friends, Amazing. which is, like, yeah, it was, like, probably the best thing that ever happened between me and that girl even when we were like actually close friends so that would have been that was actually the first kol nidre sermon i gave but that was the year that was the first year i had gone to the mikvah which is the kind of ritual bath um that is is used before yom kippur to kind of spiritually cleanse yourself and there's this very interesting ritual that you do around it um, that in many ways mimics the atonement of Yom Kippur. And if, if I'm remembering correctly, the kind of, the gist um, of, of that sermon was that there are three, three 
entities that you owe apologies to yourself for when you maybe you know let yourself down to uh to god maybe when you didn't live up to your spiritual um commitments and then to other people and i i like to focus on forgiveness towards other people and if i'm remembering right um i was kind of tired of the sermons that were like um you know learn how to ask for forgiveness i was I, that was kind of a very tired trope for me and so i was speaking about how to how to forgive people um because you know forgiveness is kind of the is giving up on the hope of a better past um and so there are a lot of things that you hold people back from accepting apologies whether it's pride whether it's this being able to have this feeling of like yes i'm better than the other person they owe me an apology um and kind of made it to where you know we should readily forgive um because we would want people to forgive us i'm pretty sure that's it that may have also been that sounds like i think it was definitely almost exactly that and that definitely made like quite an impression on me as like an 18 year old freshman who was really like still worked up about this really really petty fight so definitely feel like that freed me but first we get to talk about uh the coming of 5781 and i personally am pretty excited but i definitely know that this year is a little weird and so i was wondering what your thoughts are on the new year and like, what your approach is generally because i know like now it's like oh my god what are we heading into so I was just wondering, like, what your what your take is on Rosh Hashanah this year, and how you're planning to settle that. Yeah, so for me, Rosh Hashanah is kind of, um, kind of the the actual from actually for me, it's the midpoint of the high holidays. We start all the way back in August or July with Tisha B'Av, the destruction of the temple. Um, we start from this you know place of destruction of our spiritual home, and then we kind of wander. All of a sudden, we don't have many major holidays in between then and Rosh Hashanah, so we spiritually wander. And then we hit the month of Elul, which is when we're supposed to start taking every day to really be introspective and to start to think about where we want to be in the coming year. Um, this is a very kind of passive thing. You're meant to do it like once every day, um, but there's no real sense of urgency to it. And then we come to Rosh Hashanah. And for me, Rosh Hashanah is all of a sudden kind of the warning bells of, you know, the books of life and death are open, the gates of heaven are opening up, you have eight days until Yom Kippur, which is like the big climax of the high holidays. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting thing, Rosh Hashanah, because it's not really the new year. It's not the first month of the Jewish calendar. That's, that's Passover. Um, and so Rosh Hashanah for many people, is actually the the day that the world was created, either began or finishing. Um, and so I, I do get the feeling of, this is a brand new world. You know, I can, I have these days between Yom Kippur, uh, between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, to close the biz business of the, you know, the world of 5780, to be able to come into the world of 5781. Um, yeah, so I, I think, I think that's, that's been Rosh Hashanah for me. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, definitely much more complex than the way I've looked at it, which has definitely been, like, more of the apples <laughs> and honey approach. 
like it is a fresh start but it's definitely kind of part of this like cyclical uh very religiously awakened experience so you know like that's definitely something i hadn't really thought of of the three uh tisha ba'av rosh hashanah and yom kippur rosh hashanah is definitely the most you know uplifting of the three and oh absolutely i mean yeah absolutely and so in terms of um this year you know kind of the stress that we're all under and like the general darkness and isolation that we've all felt um throughout like 5780 how do you feel about heading into like this year how do you feel about it being a new start or like how do you think we can make this feel like a new beginning when we're just in the thick of things you know yeah it's definitely it's definitely going to be difficult this year i'm giving one of the student sermons for hillel international's higher holidays this is where i am pulling this from Um, where essentially on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, we read the story of the binding of Isaac, um, where Isaac almost gets sacrificed by Abraham, um, that story. But if you look at the Hebrew, the Hebrew says, you know, after this whole climactic event of, of the almost sacrifice, it says Abraham went back to his lads, his servants, and they left. Actually, it doesn't mention Yitzhak. Um, and there are a lot of different commentaries on that. He takes time away from this incredibly intense and toxic situation. Um, and we don't see him again until after the death of his mother, Sarah. And so I, I think that's the lesson I think a lot of us should take into this, you know, pandemic kind of year that, you know, you do, there's so much going on. You don't, you don't have to take all of it and be expected to keep moving with a smile on your face like nothing ever happened because um, you're, you're going to burn out that way but if you can recognize and then take time away um, even if it's just half an hour something physically moving away from the situation um, th- that that's how you keep going um, so to everyone listening who thinks that you know the pandemic was the time to you know create a side hustle and grind and you know make extra money no no it wasn't um <laughs> it, it it wasn't then it's not now and it won't be it is the time to take care of yourself and recognize when you need to be like Yitzhak when you just need to go to your garden of Eden and and be away from everything for a while now you do have to come back that is the important thing <laughs> you're you know you can take as many breaks as you want but you do have to come back um and so that's definitely how I'm approaching this new year of uncertainties. I I love that approach, honestly, because I think that is the that is the hardest thing. And that's part of what made this year so, so difficult, you know, is that it wasn't just a year where it's like, oh, you might get sick. Someone you love might get sick and, you know, you have no idea what's going to happen. And, you know, we're all stuck inside. It's isolating. But the expectations, you know, and obviously we're very lucky that we had social media and, you know, Facebook, Instagram, but at the same time, having those things uh, kind of exacerbates this idea that we all should have been the most product, like our most productive selves this whole time. Yeah. So I think that's definitely an idea that we should leave behind in, in 5780. Like you're absolutely 100%. right. So now looking ahead to Yom Kippur, I mean, yeah. what are your, what are your thoughts ahead of Yom Kippur? Like in terms of like self-reflection or, you know, practicing Yom yeah. Kippur? Um, I mean, for me, one of the great obstacles has always been my birthday's proximity to Yom Kippur. Oh, um, no. So this year, my birthday is the day before Yom Kippur. Sometimes it falls on it. 
Um, I like it better when it doesn't fall on it. One, because I yep. get to eat. Um, but two, it also <laughs> lets me focus on Yom Kippur when I want to focus on Yom Kippur. Um, and I think for me, Yom Kippur is this spiritually, like, incredibly intense moment. There is a um, fantastic, you know, Hasidic tale of the Baal Shem Tov, who is, you know, the founder of Hasidic Judaism. Everyone loves him, and he used to hold these kind of contests to see who would blow the shofar for him on on um, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And there was this one guy who practiced and practiced and practiced. There were a series of several increasingly complex um, intentions that you know everyone had to memorize. And so he spends years and years and years practicing, and then he comes before the Baal Shem Tov, and he forgets everything, and he breaks down and he starts crying. And the Baal Shem Tov says, you're the one I want. Um, because that is the kind of Yom Kippur experience. We've spent Elul and kind of the rest of the year too, you know, thinking like, and practicing about our ref, uh, our reflection um, and our apologies and things like that. We practice, we practice, we practice, and then we get before, and then we come to Yom Kippur and we realize, oh my goodness, this is so overwhelming. I, you know, am not prepared for this. Um, you know, there's even a line in Avinu Malkeinu that says, we have no good deeds. You know, we come before God and we're like, whoa, the, all these great things I did in the past year, how many of them were motivated by, you know, satisfying my ego? How many of them had unintended, you know, negative consequences? So Yom Kippur is, for me, very intense um, because it is that moment of realization of, oh my goodness, um, I really haven't lived up to the person I want to be. Um, but I think another thing to remember about Yom Kippur, and of course there's always a Hasidic tale for it, is that there used to be this old <laughs> rabbi named Rabbi Zusha, um, and when peop and he used to tell people, you know, when I go to heaven, um, I won't be afraid that God will say, why weren't you like Moses? He'll say, why weren't you like Rabbi Zusha? And so, you know, when you're going through this reflective process, I find it important not to compare myself to anyone else, because that's not the point. I'm not supposed to be anyone else. I'm just supposed to be a better me. I think also the symbolism of, the love, of a lot of the things that we do on Yom Kippur make it a very intense moment. In Yom Kippur, we, especially on Kol Nidre, we mimic, you know, our funeral procession. We wear white. We wear a talit at night, which we never do, um, aside from this day. It is a dress rehearsal for when we're no longer here. And yeah. what, you know, that is kind of the ultimate point of judgment of when you have nowhere to go forward, you can only look back and be retrospective um, and introspective. So I definitely find it intense. Um, but I think that's one of the great things because then we move on to Sukkot, which is all of a sudden, you know, we our home was demolished at Tisha B'Av we wander through, we, you know, hear the alarm bells at Rosh Hashanah, you know, we face God at Yom Kippur, and then a week later, we're in these kind of pseudo-homes, not quite permanent, but everything is good. And over the year, we're going to, you know, brick by brick, rebuild ourselves into this permanent house that's going to be torn down again next year. 
and will do it again and again and again forever. Coming at it from as someone who is like has always been less of a like religious person, it's it, that was kind of interesting like to get my uh, religious start, uh, however kind of feeble it may it may be. Um, to get my religious start at Yom Kippur, I think is like very spiritually powerful. Um, Absolutely. And I, I'm I'm excited to experience it again. Although I mean, you know, fasting is not my favorite thing, but it's like right. <laughs> it's it definitely offers some kind of clarity, though. It's like it's interesting to be you know a real adult now as opposed to like a fourteen year old and think of it as like right. an experience for clarity. For me, at least, it was definitely at first at first something I failed at just like completely right, right off the bat. Something oh, I failed sorry. at altogether. <laughs> but um, it's funny that as I've gotten older, I've kind of like sat in it a little more and thought to myself like oh kind of get why we why why we do this um and while it doesn't sound like good to fast on your birthday I would like not wish that (laughs) on anyone um I guess like what about like what goes through your head regarding the fasting because I think as like a college student or as like a young person generally that can often be kind of elusive as to why we do that yeah you know some people will say that you fast to you know be able to concentrate only on the prayer some people say we fast to remind ourselves how good we have it the way i like it is that we fast because on yom kippur we do nothing life affirming we do not eat we do not have sex we don't partake in luxuries like wearing leather for yom kippur we recognize that we are kind of functionally dead and this that kind of feeling is what allows us to have this intense feeling of of judgment and reflection um so yes it sounds somber but i find it very comforting to be able to immerse myself entirely in it um because i think there is no use at you know half doing um teshuva repentance apologies whatever you'd like to call it um yeah you can really you know it really only works if you go all the way and I find that mindset helps get me there. I just definitely find it interesting to talk to someone who really has thought a lot about this as someone who's like really only started thinking at all about this in the last few years. So, I mean, anybody who has questions should look into it because it's definitely something that's like definitely has been crossing my mind a lot lately. I've always been like, oh, yeah, I'm just like a cultural Jew, you know, kind of like looking yeah. to make my way. But here we yeah, are. I mean, but that's kind of the perfect thing i mean even people who call themselves cultural jews most of them still do rosh hashanah and yom kippur um and so to be able to infuse a little bit more meaning into those periods when they are putting themselves into these explicitly religious um jewish spaces i i think is definitely a big help for for anyone who's unsure of how to approach their jewish future 100 percent. yeah i couldn't agree more um, yeah, so why don't you tell us, is there anything else you're looking forward to this semester, or, like, just in general, I mean, like, you mentioned Sukkot, like, what is on the horizon for you, and what are you thinking about when you think about Hillel, Jewish life, or just anything on yeah. your mind? I mean, so as a senior, I'm definitely focused, a lot, very future-facing, um, yeah. but, yeah, Sukkot is going to be fun, there's going to be where the tent is now on Tower's Lawn. Right after Yom Kippur, they're going to put up a big Sukkot there, a big Sukkah there, and so that should be a lot of fun. Um, what else am I looking forward to this semester? I work for the Elie Wiesel Center, which is the center that administers all the Jewish studies and um, Holocaust, human rights, and genocide studies classes. We also put on a lot of amazing events. We have this really exciting event 
called Finding Moses, which is going to be looking at the figure Moses through Jewish, African-American, Christian, and Muslim lenses, which I am very excited for. It's the Elie Wiesel Memorial Lecture. Um, and so that's always a big highlight of my fall semester. Thank you so much. You've been like a, a model guest. Like just, <laughs> this was like, this was honestly really fun. And I'm excited to hopefully be in JLF together again. Oh, I hope so. Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to Hello, Hello, a podcast by and for Boston University students and whoever else wants to listen to a podcast about Hello Life. Um, religious life, Jewish life, whatever you, whatever you fancy. Um, and so this has been great. So Shana Tova to all the listeners. And thank you again, Connor, for hanging out here with us. Thank you, Sophie. It was a pleasure.